Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 8 today. Um, chapter 12. Chapter 12 sits as a little bit of a shift in Matthew's writing. Uh, most of the Gospel of Matthew is chronologically ordered, but also chronologically disordered. There's, there's things that if you look at the Lucan account, if you look at Luke's Gospel, it's in a different order, and Luke claims to be trying to be the most chronologically accurate. So Matthew is ordered from here on out more thematically. So more things that fit together uh, and, and not necessarily in the exact same order as they actually occurred. And this chapter exists predominantly as exactly what made the Pharisees the most mad. <laughs> so uh, we're going to encounter this week and next week uh, some, some Sabbath discussion um, and then uh, also... Later, Jesus is going to straight up call out the Pharisees. Uh, and he does even, uh, well, Jesus calls out the Pharisees. Matthew records it. He does so later also in no uncertain terms. But um, this is a fun chapter. Uh, it's a fun chapter because it makes me examine my, uh, my theology, my, my, my questions, my thought processes. It makes me come to, come to Christ and, and come to grips with the fact that it's possible to misunderstand and misapply God's word. And that's actually what we're going to encounter today. Today we're going to see the Pharisees charge Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they're, they're going to be really sure of their theology, but they're going to be confronted with the fact that they're wrong and they're not going to like it. Um, so let's go ahead and read. Again, it's verses 1 through 8 in Matthew chapter 12. At that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which it was not lawful, for, uh, uh, lost my place, I'm sorry. Uh, it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how, the, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, today, today is going to be an understanding of what the Pharisees got wrong, in essence. But first, I want to ask the question, what is the Sabbath? I want us to define in brief what it was, why it was practiced, because especially if you've been in Christian circles for a long time, you've heard that word. You've heard Sabbath. And sometimes you hear people say it really extra holy, and they say it in Hebrew, which is Shabbat. Uh, it's the same word. means the exact same thing. So let's go ahead and discuss what the Sabbath is. In the beginning, if we were to go all the way back to Genesis 1, we would find God creating. 
We would find uh, in Genesis 2 him at the end of his creative work, but in Genesis 1, he makes light, he makes space, he makes land, he makes vegetation, he makes stars, he makes moons that orbit planets, he makes fish, he makes birds, he makes animals, and then finally he makes man, which is his apex creation, made in his image. God then blesses all of this creative work. He tells them to multiply and fill the earth. Which, by the way, the multiplication, not a result of the fall, just saying. Uh, he gives creatures the blessing to eat of everything that's around them uh, and, that they, can, and uh, that they can enjoy it. And God actually joyously declares everything good. Enter Genesis 2, which if we were to look again at the structure of Genesis 2, we'd see that there's this start where God uh, finishes his creative work, sort of. He's already finished it, but there's kind of like this uh, addendum um, where all of a sudden you see God creating man in more detail than you did in chapter one. In chapter one, it's just referenced. But then in chapter two, starting in verse four, uh, you see it more closely. But there's this paragraph in most Bibles, verses one to three, where you find God resting. Uh, verses one to, one to three say this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work uh, that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, why did God rest? Was he tired? No, God is omnipotent, literally all powerful. He didn't need to rest. He wasn't tired. Uh, he wasn't weary from his work. So why, why then did he rest? Mm. Yep, thank you for going where I'm going. <laughs> but then if we turn to Exodus 20, we'd find where God actually reaffirms this rest. Uh, but he actually gives it in covenant. He gives it in commandment with his people Israel, a people that he's specifically covenanted with, and he gives the law, he gives regulations for them to carry as a sign of his covenant with, with them. And in Exodus 20, uh, uh, chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, he gives this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. So essentially everything. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, as you hear in these verses, God is very explicit in those commands, right? Uh, you shall keep this day holy, which means to be set apart. It has a particular purpose. I've used this example before, but the word holy is like that fine china you only break out when you have the best of guests. Or that one time a year when you have to feel like you really have to bring it out. But it's holy. It's set apart for special guests. 
we're supposed to set apart the seventh day for the Lord. It's holy to him. On the six previous days, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, the word Sabbath, or again, the Hebrew word Shabbat, it means to rest. It means to cease. And it's set apart to God himself. On it, you shall not do any work. The point of the Sabbath was, was that God had rested, not that he needed to, not that he felt drained uh, like we do after a hard week, but he, he blessed it by doing it, by enacting it. And what God does is holy and right. So God rested to prove that rest is holy and right. If, if you hear nothing else that I have said, two things, the Pharisees got it wrong <laughs> and that God has blessed rest. He blessed it uh, so much as to institute it as a commandment. If you're the type of person who works constantly, you're in sin. Take up the requirement of the Sabbath as you would any other commandment. You read, you shall not murder. Okay, I'm not going to murder. But if you miss the Sabbath, you are, you, you are, you are sinning and you are ruining your own soul. Know what it means to rest and practice it. As you would avoid using God's name in vain, which is the third commandment, so practice the fourth commandment, which is Sabbath. Now, coming back to Matthew 12, it's by this time that the Pharisees have actually corrupted the Sabbath. Um, when God had said in Exodus 20, you shall do no work, the implication is not, well, you can't do anything. Like, how do you define work? It's, it's that you're not working for a paycheck. It's that you're not working because you have to store up grain for fall. It's, it's, it's instead uh, to the Pharisees that you can do nothing. You know, maybe lifting my finger, depending on my age, is work, and therefore I'm profaning the Sabbath by doing it. That was essentially their thought process. Um, they had, in fact, 39 primary kinds of labor that were not allowed on the Sabbath, and 11 of those, by the way, were, the, were included in the preparation of cooking. So, uh, nowadays even, Orthodox Jews will prepare their food the day beforehand, and they'll put it in their fridge. But then again, is opening the door of your fridge work? Because apparently microwaving is. Microwaving is against, is profaning the Sabbath to a, uh, an Orthodox Jew. You know, opening the door, putting it in, pressing buttons, and waiting. Work. I, I don't know how many of you have nuked a Hot Pocket recently. <laughs> it's not that much work. But to the Pharisees, that would have been work. And that's why there's so many observances of these are what you cannot do because they were trying, they were trying to honor the fourth commandment. But the irony is that we just read Matthew 5 and 6 not too long ago, which is where the Pharisees did not follow the law. In fact, they had underpracticed the commandments. But then they pick the one that allows you to be lazy and overpractice it. Imagine that, people are lazy. 
So, <laughs> the, the problem that we encounter in Matthew chapter 12 is that the, the Jesus and his disciples had broken one of those 39 commands that were in the Mishnah, the, the, the rabbinical teachings, the teaching of the Pharisees. They were, they, they were breaking that commandment. They were, they were picking heads of grain. They were walking through a field, which is not against the law. Walking to go worship is not against that rule. But they were plucking heads of grain. So they had broken one of these commands. But was it the commandment? No. There is no law in the Bible at all that says you can't eat on the Sabbath, which is all they were doing. It's like... If you have a bunch of bananas sitting in front of you and you're hungry and it's the Sabbath, do you have to sit there and think, geez, I hope pulling the banana off, peeling the skin off the banana, I hope that's not breaking the fourth commandment. But somebody at some point has really wrestled with that. Is that harvesting? Is that preparing? Is that eating? What is that? And so the Pharisees had spent now 400 years, the Pharisees basically started 400 years before Jesus, 400 years deliberating what is work and what is not. And by Jesus' time, they were set. Peeling the banana, work. Microwaving your food, the microwave didn't exist there. Bananas didn't even exist at the time. But, but the point lies, you cannot harvest. And that's harvesting. That's what Jesus and his disciples were doing. They were harvesting. The real problem here is that their tradition had been transgressed. But what do they say? Do they say it's, it's tradition that's been transgressed? No. No, they say, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful, illegal. It's a violation of God's law. And so they're, 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 they're charging Jesus with sin, charging his disciples with sin. But remember, grabbing food out of your refrigerator nowadays for an Orthodox Jew, totally not sin, as long as you made it the day before. Just saying. The Pharisees had distorted the goodness of the Sabbath, the, the requirement of rest, and turned it into something hideous, ugly and unrecognizable to Exodus chapter 20. They had over-practiced the fourth commandment. And that's why Jesus responded to the Pharisees the way he did. When, they, when the Pharisees say, you know, you're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath, what are they thinking? They're like, ha, you know, wringing their fingers together. We've caught this false teacher, this, this miracle worker who's doing things we can't explain, but we caught him. He's a con man. He's, he's breaking the law. We don't break the law. He's not as good as us. We don't break the law. He's not as smart as us, and he's not as worthy as us. <laughs> but then Jesus responds, as he always does, and he gives two illustrations followed by three reasons for why this is not breaking the Sabbath. He doesn't even go into their teaching. That's what's funny to me. He actually just provides from the scripture that, that the Pharisees are supposed to know why they misunderstand. So uh, when, when Jesus responds, 
Um, oh, also in Mark 2, there's another one. Uh, Matthew, Matthew doesn't record a particular statement, neither does Luke, but, uh, but Mark does. And we'll, we'll hit on that eventually. But the two illustrations that Jesus gives. One, David in the house of God. Man, if you were to pick any, any person from all of the Bible to uh, like the Pharisees be like, yeah, that's my guy, that's my man, it'd be David. David's, David's the ultimate Pharisee in the Pharisee's mind. And yet Jesus uses him and something he did as an illustration for why they're misunderstanding. So that's in verse 3. But just, just to expand from, from what's in verse 3, th this is actually found in 1 Samuel 21, the, the full instance. Uh, David is actually fleeing the then king Saul. Uh, this is right after David realizes that Saul is actually trying to kill him. Uh, before, David's just kind of like, ah, maybe I'm just misunderstanding his motives. But now he found, finds out that he is, and he flees, and he flees with some, some commanders in the military that are, that are um, allied with David, and they come to a land called Nob, which I think is a funny name, and he meets a priest named Ahimelech. And, uh, and he goes up to Ahimelech with his band of warriors behind him and asks him for food. And Ahimelech uh, says, you know, we don't have any common bread, but we do have holy bread. So, so you guys can eat some of this holy bread as long as you've abstained from women. And David says, when men are on a journey with me, they don't, they don't get, to, get to be with their wives. And so Ahimelech gives him, in mercy, he gives these men the bread of the presence, which is uh, which which is prepared in Leviticus 25. It's pre it's prepared to be offered to God on the Sabbath. It's prepared. It's set out on an altar, and then the priests eat it. The priests eat and prepare the bread on the Sabbath. They cook on the Sabbath. Hmm. So, moving on, Jesus is saying that what David did was not sinful. David eating the bread was not sin, even though it was prepared for the priests, by the priests. It, was, it had a particular purpose. It was an offering to God. But what Ahimelech did by providing it, he didn't break the Sabbath. Showing mercy to someone on the Sabbath is, is not sin. It doesn't profane the Sabbath. And so the disciples walking through a field, and as they're walking, put their hand up and, just, and start chewing on a head of grain, not sin. Friends, an application of this for yourselves would be like if you had your tithe check prepared, right? Like you knew, okay, I'm going to give X amount of dollars. You're about to put it in as, as an offering to the Lord, but then you find out that someone you know is in dire circumstances. They can't afford food. Uh, maybe they need a ride somewhere and you can't show up to church that day. Doing that, taking some money out of your tithe in order to show mercy to someone is not sin. It would be sin to take your offering check and go, mm, you know what, I think I would be better served to fly to Hawaii with this. That would be sin. Notice there's a lot of people not here today, so anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, 
But then Jesus gives the second illustration that's, that's actually related in one of the best ways, I think, which is priests profaning the Sabbath. A priest, by nature, prepares offerings on a Sabbath. The priest, by nature of their role of providing worship for Israel, is supposed to be in the temple making the bread of the presence, cooking, profaning the Sabbath, preparing bowls, butchery on the Sabbath, sin. They're doing these things, but it's not sin and it's not profane, profaning the Sabbath. So remember, remember the bread of the presence was cooked on the Sabbath. It's not prepared the day before. God likes his bread hot. <laughs> so they cook the bread and they put it out as an offering and then they eat it. That's what the priests do. Yet they are guiltless, Jesus says. Jesus says the priests are guiltless. It's kind of like how uh, the Christian Sabbath, uh, traditionally uh, celebrated on Sundays, uh, mirroring Jesus' resurrection, died on a Friday, rose on a, rose on a Sunday. Um, uh, if you want to read about it, Justin Martyr, who was a second-generation Christian, talked about it in the early hundreds. Like this is, the Christian Sabbath on Sunday has been, has been practiced before Constantine. If anybody ever says Constantine was worshiping the sun and that's why it's on Sunday, wrong. Anyway, uh, so, so the Christian Sabbath is celebrating on a Sunday. But here I was this morning sanitizing things, picking things up, taking the trash out. I was doing work, and yet I'm not profaning the Sabbath. I'm not. Because, frankly, things need to get done in order for us to worship. If I don't come in and turn on the lights, which, by the way, turning on a light switch is profaning the Sabbath to an Orthodox Jew. But if I don't come in and turn on the lights, who, who's able to worship? And then a Baptist principle, actually, since the Reformation, it's been phrased that, the, that all believers are in the priesthood of believers. You are all priests. If you know God, you are all priests. Uh, that, that could be expanded out in a number of ways, but, uh, but just know that you coming in and turning on the lights is also not sin. So a person that shows up and teaches a class, person that shows up and greets, person that hands out bulletins, again, not profaning the Sabbath. So priests don't profane the Sabbath, even though they're in the temple doing work on a Sabbath. So by the time of Jesus, this was so out of whack, so misunderstood, so messed up that Jesus has to go back to the Old Testament, which at the time was just the Testament, and say, y'all got this wrong. You are cherry picking and you need to know it. So in verses six to eight, we find Jesus's three explanations so he gives the two illustrations, and he gives three explanations about how the Pharisees are mistreating and misunderstanding the actual purpose of the Sabbath. The first is that something greater than the temple is here. To the Jewish mind at the time, there is nothing greater than the temple. Ironically, it's been destroyed twice. 
So this is kind of in a, in a, in a, a, a like a, a historical perspective. They're like, no, the temple is where all things happen. It is the place of worship. And in this time, Herod had built a temple and it was really, it was smaller than his mansion, the, the ruler of, of Israel. So anyway, the, uh, there was a temple for them to go to. And yet Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. The apex of Jewish theology and yet Jesus is claiming that something greater is here. Now, what Jesus means by that statement is actually fleshed out better in the book of Hebrews, which is a long sermon on the Sabbath, essentially. So read it in your own time. But, but Jesus is called the great high priest in Hebrews, um, and, and he's ushering in a true rest, a true Sabbath for his people as in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, where the author says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Remember Genesis 2. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And that disobedience, profaning the Sabbath rest. Jesus is the true Sabbath. Jesus is the true object of worship. Jesus is greater than the temple. He provides true rest, true Shabbat, by his coming and reconciling work of dying on the cross. Something greater than the temple was there. And the Pharisees missed it. The second defense he provides is that the Pharisees should have understand should have should have understood this statement that God makes in Hosea 6:6, 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And this will actually be our topic for next week. We're going we're, we're gonna to look at how God desires mercy, and it's because it actually falls into the next set of verses. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but just, just as a, a brief synopsis of why Jesus says this and quotes this verse is because in Hosea 6.6, 6, Judah and Israel have not repented from their sins. Hundreds of years earlier, and they had not repented. They were hard-hearted. They were serving idols. They were, they, they, they were terrible. They were, they were plundering the poor. The rich were taking from the poor, leaving the poor to die in the streets. And yet they were taking sacrifices to the temple, thinking God is appeased by my sacrifices. And God, very angrily, says, I desire mercy, steadfast love, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Because they had wrong theology, wrong application. They were doing it wrongly in Hosea 6.6. 6, and Jesus is saying the Pharisees are doing it wrongly now. God prefers steadfast love. He prefers mercy over dutiful, dry, empty obedience of rules. So in sum, if you do the right thing, but your heart is far from God as you do it, don't think it pleases God. The third defense is actually the most astounding to me, probably because it should have infuriated the Pharisees even more than it did. 
Jesus makes a a declaration of his divine status. He says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, at the time, I'm sure the Pharisees were sitting there going, the son of man? Isn't that that prophecy in like Ezekiel? Man, I'm going to have to go get the scrolls. Like, I'm sure that's that's what was happening at the time. But Jesus, knowing exactly what he's saying, when he says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, or is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am Lord of the rest. This links back with Hebrews. When Jesus is called the Sabbath rest. So uh, this, this, this is a statement that only really Jesus could make, declaring himself God. Um, and, and therefore, what the disciples did was not sin, because Jesus wouldn't let the disciples sin on the Sabbath. He would be the one that's like, no, 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 guys, don't do that. God, God is offended in that. Don't do that. Instead, Again, in Mark, Mark chapter 2, I was going to mention this. Instead, what Jesus says is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We need rest. Rest was made for us, not us for rest. We were not made to be lazy, (laughs) but we were also not made to constantly work. The Sabbath was given for the benefit of man. And Christ is Lord of it. His disciples did not sin by walking through grain fields and picking as they went and munching on it. That was not sin. It was not sin to eat on the Sabbath. And that's what they were doing. So instead of, in, instead of being happy that Jesus, this miracle-working teacher, had come and was celebrating the Sabbath with them, the Pharisees charged him with sin and said, you have done what is not lawful on the Sabbath. They had misunderstood Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. They had misunderstood the fourth commandment. And they charged God with sinning against himself. But no, Jesus says, "Mm -mm. I'm not going to sin because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in in conclusion, you know when a preacher says in conclusion, there's 15 minutes left. Uh, So in conclusion, how can we apply this text? Just in general, what, what can we take away? Well, number one, God cares about a right understanding of what he said. God has said what he says said what he said, and he means what he means. So therefore, we need to endeavor to understand it. We need to ultimately be whole Bible Christians. We should not be people who cherry pick and go, okay, well, I'm going to read this over this. And every time I read this one statement, it means this. We should not be people who do that. We should be people who read cover to cover, and spend our whole lives wrestling in our own minds and hearts with the fact that God is right and Scott isn't. God is right and you are not. So when we sit here and we read and we, we, we think about what God has said, it should matter to us if we're wrong. Because if the Pharisees had understood the Sabbath properly, they would have not condemned the guiltless, Jesus says. That's verse 7. 
Thus, it is our duty as Christians to properly understand God and his word, to not bring empty sacrifices, but to understand God and therefore work out of that knowledge and constantly have our thoughts conformed to what he said. Like I said in the beginning, the Pharisees underapplied all of the commandments except the fourth. We should not be this way. We should not pick and choose our favorite commandments. We should not pick and choose anything out of the Bible. Instead, uh, we should be people who painstakingly put our trust in God's word. We should not minor in the majors and major in the minors. We shouldn't have hobby horses. We shouldn't have things, I mean, I'm not saying hobbies are sin, but when it comes to biblical interpretation, we shouldn't have the, and this is what it says, and I know this because, uh, because I know it, and everybody else must agree with me. It should come from the text. And that's the main point of our text today. Don't misunderstand, mistreat, and misapply God's word. And the reality is, all y'all do it. I do it, you do it, everybody does it. But how are we going to spend our time on this earth? Are we going to spend our time resting self-assured? Or are we going to spend our time wrestling with scripture? Because if we spend our time self-assured like the Pharisees, we will condemn the guiltless. All the disciples were trying to do is feed themselves because they were hungry. If the Pharisees had understood the proper purpose of the Sabbath, God's good blessing in the fourth commandment, if they had gone beyond just Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they wouldn't have said that Jesus was sinning. If they understood the whole of God's word, they would have actually understood who Jesus was. They would have understood that he was worthy of worship. They would have seen him as the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ coming. They would have seen him as the culmination of all of the Bible, of their, as their true Sabbath rest. They would have put their hope in him instead of trying to condemn him and ultimately actually condemning him and killing him on the cross. So if you take anything from this sermon, besides the fact that God has blessed rest, is that you should be a whole Bible Christian, lest you try and condemn the guiltless. Let's pray, and we can sing our last song. Lord, I don't want to be the type of person who is so sure of myself that I can't be challenged. I don't want to be the type of person who condemns the guiltless who stops your working, who stands in the way, who tries to be an anchor that drags on the seafloor and every time it gets reeled up, jumps back overboard. Lord, we need to be people who worship you and adore you and love you and cherish you and that comes from knowing you and growing. It comes from us always realizing that there's always an area that we're wrong. Lord, only you, only you and the devil have perfect theology, <laughs> uh, and yet the devil misapplies it. So Lord, let us know what you have said. Let us apply it to our hearts. Let us live in conformity to it, and let us be whole 
Bible Christians so that we can see you and adore you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, in his infinite grace and mercy, has provided us the command to rest. Practice it, enjoy it, but don't profane it. Go in peace, saints.